On today's episode, we're going to talk about how to validate your idea, not being an expert in the industry, and Greek food. Let's go! This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today, we have Yasmin Mustafa, CEO and co-founder of Roar for Good. Roar is a social impact B Corp, helping reduce the incidence of attacks against women while addressing the underlying causes of violence. Through smart safety wearables, coupled with a mobile application, the solution helps deter attackers and instantly calls for help. One of the unique aspects of the company is that Roar doesn't want to simply put a Band-Aid on the problem of assaults against women. That's why for each Athena sold, they are taking a percentage of proceeds and investing them in nonprofits that teach empathy and healthy relationship to youth, to youth programs shown to decrease violence. Yasmin, how is your day going? (laughs) It's going well. It's going really well. How about you? Cannot complain. Ready to rock and roll. Excited to hear your story. I've been waiting for this day for a while because uh, you're such an amazing entrepreneur and an accomplished entrepreneur at that. But before we get into the amazing story, we have to start the podcast off the same way we do every single time, and that is with an icebreaker. So, Yasmin, are you ready? I am set. Let's go. All right. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat? And what are you going to order in order to make your day complete? The best day of my life? Best wow. Day. You got to um, celebrate in some capacity, right? I would probably, because I'm inside all, all day, I would probably do something that's outside. So whether it's a restaurant that's outside, um, somewhere where there's a field of grass. So it feels like I'm not quite in the city, somewhere a little quiet. And I would absolutely go to a Greek restaurant of some kind because I love Mediterranean food. Nice. Now, what are you ordering at the Greek restaurant? Do you have any favorites or? Oh, um, I have a lot of favorites. Lamb, calamari, and some type of chocolate dessert absolutely is a necessity. Love Sometimes it. I'll start with a dessert before I have dinner. Interesting. Is that <laughs> is that something that you do occasionally? Because that's I, I want to get there, but I don't know if I am. Every now and then, you always get an odd look from the server, but hey, they remember you. <laughs> That's very true. Touche. Nothing else. Well, Yasmin, without further ado, please tell us about yourself. Who are you and what is your story? Sure. And you, do you want me to start personal background or with Roar? You can go as far as you want. It's your story. You tell us <laughs> however you want to However you want to tell the story. Sure. Yeah. So I am a refugee of the Persian Gulf War. A lot of people, it's come out recently because of everything that's been going on. And my story is that I was born in Kuwait to Palestinian parents in the summer of 1990. My dad had a business trip out here in Philadelphia. Uh, my mom decided to tag along. She happened to be six months pregnant at the time. And she actually ended up having my little baby brother here. Nine weeks after they came back, or a few weeks after they came back, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait for its oil, and the Persian Gulf War started. And sitting on the bottom of these two men and yelled out my little brother's name, it turned out they had actually been deployed by the U.S. Embassy to go and collect all American citizens out of the country for their safety. And because he had just been born in Philadelphia, 
we got to come along. So they told us we had an hour to pack two bags and we boarded a flight to Philadelphia. And we've been here ever since. I always thought we were coming back. So uh, that didn't quite pan out. And it was extremely challenging to get accustomed to a new culture and a new language and, and leave everything that was familiar, especially my extended family. So we lived in Philadelphia for nine months. Uh, my dad tried to find a job, but couldn't. Um, so a lot of immigrants face this challenge of coming here with a educational degree from another country that unfortunately just doesn't transfer over. So when he couldn't find an engineering job, he decided to buy a 7-Eleven store. A lot of immigrants turned to entrepreneurship and it became a family business. It was out in the suburbs in Wordsworth, Pennsylvania. And we all worked there. We had the store for about 10 years. When I was 15 applying for college, I found out I was actually considered illegal. So even though I had been brought here and granted asylum as a refugee, my documentation slipped through the cracks. I didn't have a social security number. And I had to start the application process from the very beginning. So unfortunately, it was an incredibly stressful time of not being able to do all the things that my friends could do, you know, get a driver's permit, get a license, apply for colleges, get a loans or even scholarships for school. I was a really good student in high school. And then when I was 18, my dad sold the store and he actually just ended up leaving. He didn't think we were going to win our immigration case. And he felt like we were becoming too Americanized. And it was a bittersweet moment because I feel like that's when I truly was able to live with him kind of gone because he was very, very strict, but also just penniless, no, no money to our name, no credentials. What were we going to do? And and that was when I started working under the table. Uh, I had two, three jobs at any given time and work under the table. You're working at places that don't ask too many questions, that pay you cash and, and where it's easy to be unnoticed. So I was a hostess, I was a waitress, I cleaned, I worked as a dry cleaner. Uh, all my whole family, we banded together and we took odd jobs to support ourselves. And uh, and then uh, I tried to go to school and I couldn't. And my mom actually ended up storming down to Montgomery County Community College in her best outfit, demanded to see the president and the secretary one letter at first, and my mom just said, I'm not leaving until you let me. So eventually she got in, talked to her about what was going on. She declined at first, and then she said, all right, fine. Uh, I'm going to let your daughter take six credits at a time. Uh, you have to pay out-of-state tuition, but she can go to school, and they let me go to school. And even though full-time means 12 credits a semester, I did it every semester, including summer, for four years to get my associate's degree. So I got my associate's in 2003. And then things really picked up and turned around for me when I went to Temple. I transferred to Temple. I got my bachelor's there. And that was when I met my first mentor, Chris Pavlidis. He was the entrepreneurship director there. And he was the very first person to ever look at me and just say, Yasmin, I believe in you. And that sentence meant a lot. And I would bounce a lot of ideas off of him. I knew I wanted to do something. For myself, I used to have this idea book that I would jot down ideas on, and I just didn't know what, and whatever idea I had, I would burst into his office, and he'd sit me down, and he'd help me pick out the holes in a, in the idea, but in a very constructive, 
inspiring way. And he got me to think through the holes myself and do the necessary research to launch an idea or at least validate an idea. And then uh, after school, I joined a startup consulting firm. Um, I became a legal resident. And that's kind of that was my foray into entrepreneurship. Nice. And I, I see a lot of themes that are going on in, in your story. Um, you have this tenacity to some degree that your mom had of just not willing to quit. And then the entrepreneurship <laughs> side of, of uh, I guess, your, your upbringing of your father. Um, and also the opportunity that you were able to obtain by having coming to America in that short time period. Has, um, has that been a consistent theme of when you see opportunity, you jump on it and you take it and then you, you just run with it and, and make something of it? I would say that pretty much everything that I've done has been out of a need that I've had that I did not see fulfilled out there in the world. So like my first business, I don't want to jump ahead, but my first business was a software plugin that you would add to your blog to help monetize your content. And I started it because I learned about affiliate marketing. I learned about how lucrative it can be, but it was incredibly time consuming and tedious to set up. It was an eight step process. And I thought to myself, there's gotta be a better way. And I couldn't find anything out there. So I said, you know what, I'll go build it. Hmm. With Girl Develop It, I tried to teach myself how to code and I just did not do that well on my own. And uh, I learned about it in New York took a two-hour bus and a two-hour bus back for a two-hour class, learned how to code, found it incredibly gratifying, learned why so few women get into coding, and then brought it to Philly six months later. And then with Roar, Roar was, my neighbor was attacked. And uh, and I thought to myself, there's got to be a better uh, way to protect yourself than existing self-defense tools versus having to pull them out of your pocket or your purse. And that's how Athena came about one button access to get help right away. So all of them have been things that I have wanted or needed uh, or seen and just realize that there's a gap out there between um, a gap either that existed or a way to make things better. And that's that's how I, I started everything that I that I've done so far. Now I'm curious about the aspect of technology because the upbringing uh, and, and the origins of your story don't necessarily have a lot of tech behind it. Um, but being in a techie business, you, you mentioned about, was, was there that moment that when you started the coding classes where you're just like, this is, this is my calling. This is something that I, that is cool and I want to be a part of. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is the coding classes is, as gratifying as it was to learn how to code and build my own website, my very first website, I learned that it's actually not for me. I much prefer not being the developer. <laughs> I prefer being the visionary. And all uh, my first two businesses, one, two, three, Linkit and Roar, are actually all things that I'm not proficient in. So software, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a non-tacky building a software business, and even the hardware software now. I'm a non-hardware person building a hardware company. So I haven't necessarily had expertise specific to the business that I am in. But it's just all about building an amazing team that, that can fill in the gaps and, and people that are much smarter than I am to uh, to make it happen. Yeah, sure. So uh, the very second. first exposure to technology was that consulting firm that I joined right after college. And it was 
we worked with very early stage tech entrepreneurs. Say they would come to us and we would help them with their business plans, funding, go to market strategies. The entrepreneur was always the opposite of me and I was the project manager or the marketing person. And, and I just remember thinking, I want to be you one day. I want to be you. And, you know, the whole idea of what you can do with technology was mesmerizing and, and especially using technology for good, being using technology to help people. I'm a firm believer in the concept of the birth lottery. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, go ahead. Please explain. So the birth lottery to me is this concept of how random our starting point is. Uh, some of us are born in a developed nation or a developing nation or underdeveloped nation. Uh, the government in which we're born into, the religion that's bestowed upon us, our parents, the socioeconomic class, the education we receive, our sex, our um you know, our health, whether we're born disabled or not, all of these traits, we do not control them at all. We have no influence over them. And yet they set up our path in life. They give us the opportunities or challenges that we're going to face. And I believe that some people are set up, are more likely to be set up for success than others uh, as a result of the lottery of our birth. And I love thinking about how we can equalize that balance or that imbalance and I, I feel like technology is a really good way to do that technology can help people see again and mm -hmm. deaf people hear and disabled people walk again and it's incredible what can be done with technology i i i totally uh i totally can un understand and relate relate to that um you mentioned before that you are happy that you're not the uh, the expert, so to speak, at development, but you have your hand in other things that you could do. How has that not being the expert at the particular business that you're running and being the visionary, how has that helped your business grow to where it is today? Well, I think I can be most useful in the beginning part of the business, right? Because being the visionary, you know what the end result could be. And even though you don't know the technical details, you can inspire everyone and, and give them the information they need to get to the end result, which is, which is, uh, which is awesome. So, well, it's been interesting. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things for me is that I get bored easily. So not knowing everything, I learned so much. I can tell you so much about injection tooling now. I mean, every product that I buy now, I do a very special unboxing experience because I want to see what material they used. I want to see how <laughs> the user experience is, the color, uh, you know, every product. I look at it, I'm like, hmm, there's probably four parts to this tool that they had made. And I, I know things I never thought I would know. <laughs> and cool. and every week I learn something new. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I, I find myself doing the same thing, believe it or not. I just that, that level of of uh, small details. There's everything in the small details. Um I, I'm curious to, to hear a little bit more about War for Good. It's it's helping uh women through a huge issue and you you touched on it that you saw your neighbor get attacked and felt the need to create an entire business around that what has been that experience um you know for for you and um just, if you can go into that aspect of the of the of the good the good that you're doing for war for good yeah sure yeah so i didn't actually see her get attacked 
to, I oh, can okay. tell you. I'm a sorry. Little I apologize. No, no, no worries. So, so my first business got acquired by an advisor. It was for small sum, but um, it was it was a, a great moment for me, especially because it happened right when I became a United States citizen. So this was five years ago. So for, for the very first time, I felt kind of unshackled by my birth lottery that I could go do what I want when I want. So. The first thing I did after I became a U.S. citizen is I booked a six-month uh, trip out of the country, and I decided to make up for you know my childhood and everything. And uh, I went by myself to South America. I visited six countries, spent a month in each one, and it was life-changing. I defined my my life based on before and after the trip. But one of the things that kept happening is I kept meeting women who would share some type of a story of a time they were attacked or harassed or abused or hearing other people tell similar stories. And when I came back to Philly, my neighbor went out to her car. I, I don't know. I didn't I don't know her. Uh, I read the news story the next day of what happened. She went out to her car and she was grabbed from behind. She was dragged into an alley. She was beaten and brutally raped. And when I saw that the next day, that was when the idea for Roar came about, I called up my former advisor and friend, Anthony Gold. He came out of hardware uh, at Unisys and we banded together to start the company. And, and the idea was women use pepper spray and tasers and knives to protect themselves. And why not just make them wearable? Because the way they are currently is you have to pull them out of your purse or your pocket. And it's not like you can be like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Like, you know, get it out and have it ready in your hand when something, you know, happens. So... We said, let's make it let's make it so that it's readily accessible, one button access. And the first idea was actually completely different. It was going to be called the Macelet, Mace and a Bracelet. Hmm. And as awesome as that name is, it actually turned out to be a terrible idea because we interviewed women and talked to women and learned that many of them actually do not like pepper spray and tasers and existing tools. That one, they were afraid that they were going to use it against themselves accidentally. So you blow the pepper spray and then the wind whips back and hits, you know, hits your eyes with it. And two, this was the most common complaint that they would be overpowered and their own self-defense device used as a weapon against them. Hmm. So we went back to the drawing board. We said the mayflit is out. We got to come up with something else. We did more research. We actually went to parks and said, if you could wear something that you could use when you're in trouble, what would you want it to do? And that's how Athena came about. Athena is our first wearable product. It is, think of it as kind of like a, a life alert, but for the modern day gal, it's discreet, it's stylish, uh, it has two modes when you're in trouble. Uh, the first mode is silent mode, tap it three times and it'll send your location to friends and family. And the second mode is for emergencies. Uh, you press and hold it, it will also sound an alarm in addition to sending your location. And by October, it'll also be able to call 911. Wow, so awesome. we prototyped that product, we developed it, we manufactured it, we actually just shipped 10,000 devices, all pre-orders in the US have been fulfilled. Um, but while we were prototyping and doing all this user research, we learned a lot. One of the things that we learned, for example, is initially it was supposed to be a bracelet. We did a self-defense class where we had women wear it, and we actually found that the worst place to wear a safety device is on your wrist. And if you can guess why, uh, you have it, let's say, on your left wrist, you grab by either hand. Now you can only activate it with the opposite hand or maybe not even at all, depending on the location. So we made it a pendant as one of the lessons learned and, and also learned that 80% of attacks against women are actually by someone they know, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend of a friend. And, and that's when we said, well, you know, we're, we're perpetuating 
uh, rape culture and putting the onus on the women yet again to protect themselves. And we don't want to do that. Uh, so why not dig into the root causes of these issues? And, and that's when we learned about lack of empathy and gender discrimination and inequality and, and, and decided we're going to be a social impact company. We're a certified B Corp. And we're going to make sure that with every Athena that we sell, we take a percentage of proceeds and we invest them in the programs that have been proven to reduce violence against women in the, in the first place. And that's why it's all focused on teaching consent and healthy relationships to kids when they're most impressionable. Um, five years down the line, you're, you created this incredible product. You, you've been able to help so many people. What do you want War for Good to, to be in, in five years? Well, there's what I would want and there's what's going to happen. Uh, what I would like is love that, that you know what think. confidence. That was awesome. <laughs> I, 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 would, I love the idea of there not being a need for product like ours. I think that in a perfect world, that would be incredible. That's not going to happen anytime soon. In five years, what I would like uh, or what I do see is that we move away from hardware. We focus more so on software and that we have technology that's embedded in everyday products and uh, clothing or things that you already use that you don't need a separate device. You mentioned uh, that you did a ton of research that you went to parks and you asked women about what it is that they want and it turned in from a bracelet into a pendant. I feel like a lot of startups don't do the necessary research in order to make sure that their product is legitimate, that it's needed within the marketplace. Can you uh, talk, speak to that a little bit more? Is how, what would you recommend other startups to do in order to obtain research uh, about their product or business? Yeah, I knew that. You know, I, I think a lot of founders fall into, oh, I'm the use case. I'm going to build what I would want, and. Uh, things to remember is that you're one person and that you really need a lot more significant data to see what's worthwhile and what's not and what will sell. Um, so for us, what we did is we went to Starbucks and parks. It was super, super awkward, so awkward, yeah. and just went up to random strangers and said, hey, working on a startup idea, if I could just have one minute of your time, what I want to know is if you could wear something that could help you when you're in trouble, what would you want it to do? and had someone that was listening that would jot down the notes as I was speaking. Mm. Uh, so we got outlandish things from, you know, I wanted to be like Spider-Man and I wanted to shoot out web and I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, bullets to come out and just all these crazy things, uh, but also sorts of commonalities amongst some things. Like I want a, a light, a bright light. I want a really loud alarm. I want it to call 911. I want it to call my friend. I want it to do this and this and this. And just collected all that feedback, went to the engineering team and said, okay, here are the constraints that we know we have. Here's what we've learned women want. Um, here are the feature sets that have been asked, like what can we do with this? And just iterated to come up with the first prototype. And then all along the way, did even more validation by taking each prototype and going to the target demographics that we had laid out. We knew that we were building this product for young professionals, for college students, called up sororities, asked if I could come in and speak to them about an idea that I had, if they could just give me half an hour, put up what I was picturing on a projector and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I wanna build, tell me why you hate it. Mm. 
So I never asked them what they liked about it. I said, why do you hate it? Why would you not use it? Mm -hmm. And then took that feedback, went back and repeat. So built another prototype, asked for feedback and so on and so on and so on. Do you feel as if the people that you've interviewed um, were your initial customer base? Do you feel like that gave a good traction to, to start the business? Absolutely. Yeah, because what we were also able to do is build excuse me, a community at the same time. We were able to get their email addresses and have them reach out to us or we reach out to them again to say, hey, here's what we've done that's different. Here's how we've changed it based on your feedback and then collected their email addresses so that when we launched the crowdfunding campaign, they were part of the product development process. They were a little bit more invested than the everyday person that they became part of uh, our early fans, if you will. And then, you know, some of them bought, some of them helped spread the word, some of them did both, and it really helped kind of propel us to the next level. Interesting. You have the initial fan base, you, um, you, you have the customers, you have the emails, now you have the product. Has it been relatively difficult to, to build and grow a community of influencers that spread everything that you do because a lot you mentioned in, in the beginning that a lot of your uh, proceeds go to nonprofits in order to teach empathy and healthy relationships to youth. What has been that transition from, I guess, customer to uh, user to influencer? I might've lost you. Oh, sorry. Um, so what has been that process of from customer to, um, from customer to influencer. Sure. Yes. Like, so uh, I would basically say, building a community. I want to learn more about like the building aspect of the community. Yeah. Yeah. I would say one of the things that has been able to come easier for us, um, a lot of difficult things, a lot of challenges, but one of the things I've been able to come easier for us is because we're a social impact company. We're a company with a purpose. It's been much, much easier to get influencers and even employees, team members joining us because they want to do something that's bigger than themselves. They want to do something that benefits the world. And we've been incredibly lucky to have people reach out to us to say, you know, I love this. Even men to say, you know, I love this. I want to help share this. What can I do to spread the word, even though I'm not someone that would actually wear Athena? And uh, it's been, you know, it's been pretty amazing. We haven't actively went after influencers our, ourselves. And I think I lost you. Whoop, are you there? Yeah, sorry. We're yeah. Good. Can, do you hear me? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, what we're focused on right now is building a following. And uh, a big portion of that, what we're doing is we're, we're starting campus ambassadors in universities. Uh, so these ambassadors would go to the sororities and the fraternities to talk to them about consent and healthy relationships and Athena as an alternative safety device. We're also looking to start a folk, um, customer focus groups. So these are college students, young professionals and parents and, and every idea that we have just kind of pinging them once a month to ask them, hey, here's a video that we want to do. What do you think? What's your feedback? Hmm. Little things like that. So you find you found that the aspect of not selling is indirectly selling to to these individuals. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, what we found is that people are much more likely to spread what we're doing because of the social impact aspect of it. Mm. Because we're not just a product company. We're a lifestyle company. We're a company with a mission. We want to we want to make the world a safer place. Mm -hmm. And it's a mission that's much bigger than all of us. So it's been much easier to evangelize people 
to spread the word and get them to talk about what we're doing, which is which is amazing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, and, and and you said the tagline is making the world a, a safer place. Well, our mission is we want to make the world a safer yeah. place. So we have we're we're doing new product dev meetings now every week, and before every meeting, we start with, "Hey, our mission is to make the world a safer place." Keeping that in mind, here are the ideas that we have for this week that we want to go over. So they're always going back to that. Interesting. That's cool. Now you start. You said you start all of your meetings with that. A new product dev meeting. Interesting. Yeah. And do you, and do you, have you ran a meeting without saying that in the middle, or in the beginning? And then, is there like, do you find that your meetings in business are actually more um, catered to the mission by stating the mission in the beginning of the meeting? It makes it. A lot easier to stay on course. Gotcha. When we do, yeah. And that's one cool. of the that's things a good, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we did early on is we weren't doing it, and then all these random ideas, you know, by the team popped up, and they were good ideas, but they were not targeted at all. Mm-hmm. And took a step back and explained to the team that just like home people buy home security alarms for their home we see people buying personal devices for themselves. Mm-hmm. That people spend a lot more time away from home than they do at the home. And it's commonplace to have an ADT or an AT&T Digital Life or a Comcast Xfinity Home uh, to protect your home. So why not protect yourself? And mm-hmm. just went through all that, which was very helpful. So then now starting every meeting with, okay, here's where we th- see it going. What can we build to fill the gaps uh, that are there? Gotcha. No, that's awesome. Um, I have a, we have a great understanding of who you are as a business professional, but let's talk about the personal side a little bit. Um, something that is really important to entrepreneurs and to successful uh, business um, experts and professionals um, is the, are their habits. So what are some habits that have helped you become more efficient throughout your day? Oh, man. I will say that for me, one of the best tools that I use, I really enjoy, is Mixmax. Okay. So it's a Gmail plugin. I don't know. Have you heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you can like set up reminders, templates, scheduled emails. I don't even use that feature. Um, but the reminders one, especially for me, I use every day, multiple times a day, um, to like clear out my inbox and make sure I'm getting back to people when I need to be getting back to them. Uh, to me, that's like the most useful tool that I use, um, that I use. Yeah. So you just kind of, uh, you're, you're constantly getting pinged, but what about like your personal aspect? Um, do you have any type of regimens, maybe like a workout regimen or maybe you meditate or maybe you wake up at a certain time of the day? Um, is there any type of habits in that aspect, uh, that have helped you become more efficient in your business? I I wish I could say yes. Uh, (laughs) I have, um, I didn't think things could get busier, but when we started chipping things where it got a little crazy and I haven't worked out in months, so I can't, I cannot, I cannot tell a lie and, and, and suggest something. Um, the only thing that has helped me is when I set up workout sessions with friends, mm-hmm. like find a way to hold myself accountable. So I get my butt out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, that is when I actually will go to a yoga class or go running with a friend. Other than that, I will lounge in bed till I absolutely have to get up. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. I like that style. You also mentioned resources. You said mix match. Um, was there any other resources that you love, uh, that you love using? You can't live without. Um, 
I mean, we're all going to see our phones. Um, I, I, I will say just disconnecting from mm. my phone. Like I don't, I don't look at text messages all day. Um, and then on the weekend, especially on Saturdays, I try not to be by my phone or my laptop at all. So Saturday is kind of my reboot day. And especially when I have talking events, I'm an introvert, although people don't believe me when I say that. Uh, when I have speaking events afterwards, I just like all, I just suck all the energy. Like there's no energy left. And to me, uh, Saturdays are my, my chance to like go into a cave and like kind of recharge like a battery so that I'm ready to go again. So nice. those days are my favorite days of the week. I don't see you as an introvert, but I can totally relate. Like there are times in my personal aspect, like I'm very extroverted, but at the same time, I love the aspect of just being at home by myself, chilling, hanging out and recouping everything. So I, I, I can relate to what you said. Uh, <laughs> um, the last question that I have for you, and it's, it's one of the most important of, uh, in my opinion is the blind entrepreneur, this podcast has uh, was made for those who may be temporarily blind in business. They cannot see the obvious. They may be stuck in a particular place. So what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? Well, the validating part, I think, is really important. So the whole idea of, of de-risking your idea and asking people what they think before you actually get started. Uh, in hardware these days, it's so easy to 3D print a prototype and test it before you actually go out to the world. I think that's, that's really, really important. One of the things that I learned early on is to ask for help. It's going to sound really silly, but I've always struggled with that. To me, it signified weakness and also that I had this idea of a, a balanced scale in my head and that if, if you did something for me, I had to do something back for you. But I didn't have that for other people. It made no sense. So I, it would prevent me from asking help to other people. And uh, I remember when I used to garden my ideas, well, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody like what it was. I would be like, you, you need to sign an NDA or something. And, you know, very silly looking back now. But I, I would say that's been a huge one for me. Um, that's That's really, really helped me. Um, and then if I were to pick another one, I, I'll say this, but I'm going to sound like a hypocrite saying it. I, I have no sense of balance right now, but I really need to get one. And that day, that Saturday, being able to just turn off my laptop and get away, it really, it, it's so great to recharge me. And, and, and I've approached burnout quite a few times and I haven't quite gotten there. Thank gosh. Uh, but taking care of yourself which is advice that I, I need to give myself at the same time. So, Yeah, the podcast isn't only it, – it's about you giving advice, but it's also to give yourself <laughs> advice as well. Um, Yasmin, you successfully completed the podcast, so congratulations and thank you for everything that you've done uh, and the wisdom that you've been able to give to us today. Uh, without further ado, go ahead, look right into the camera, tell everybody about how they can be a part of your mission, uh, your journey, and potentially becoming a client. Sure. Yes. So roarforgood.com is where you can go and find out more about our Athena safety accessory. It makes for a great gift back to school, holidays. And if you have any interest at all in our social impact programs, we're always looking for non non more nonprofits to partner up with. Um, reach out to us. They just have to be focused on teaching empathy. Very cool. Well, awesome. Thank you again to those of you who are still watching.
and listening. Thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Head over to theblindentrepreneur.com for more interviews. Until next time, everyone, have a great rest of your day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.